0: In terms of that really round upper pole, um, I I have a phrase that I say to patients a lot is to get that round upper pole shape implant, Photoshop, uh, a really good push-up bra. And so patients that are wanting a breast lift or a reduction, wanting that really round upper pole, it's just not a natural appearance
1: Hello REE fam, my name's Kate and welcome back to Keeping It Real, the podcast moonlighting as mythbusters. Here at REE we hear plenty of assumptions, rumours and myths around surgery in our day to day. So I've gathered the best of the best to go on a fact-finding mission and debunk some common misconceptions. Welcome Kim and Richard. Um, I think you guys get a lot of people coming in kind of either with the same um assumptions, but also I'm sure there's some ones that come very left of field that you haven't heard before. Um, So we've kind of compiled a list of the more common ones, but obviously if there's anything um, that sparks that somebody's asked, shoot away. Um, First one that we're going to talk about is to do with breast. Uh, The first kind of section is to do with breast Surgical myths. Um, so, first one our thing is that bigger is always better when it comes to implants. That a lot of women think that that's kind of if um, no matter what the issue is, that just putting a big implant in will solve all the problems.
2: Yeah. So this is one of my favorites. So a lot of people have this concept that the, the that it's a linear relationship between happiness and size. So as as the implant gets bigger, you get happier, but. Um, it's more like an upside down you so um, there's an upslope where you know as it gets bigger patients happier and you're meeting goals and then there's a bit of a plateau and then as you start getting bigger you start causing other problems and then it detracts from the happiness so when you choose an implant that's uh, too big some of the issues that you can that can lead to is uh, 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 the implant not sitting in the right Position the implant dropping down too low, and then shortening your torso. Uh, it can look too full in the upper pole, which makes it look a bit too fake. Other things: I mean, if you go really too big, you can get symmastia, where the breasts are meeting in the midline. So, um, yeah, it's quite common. You know, if someone's had an implant, they're really happy, and they go, oh, if "I would have only gone just a little bit bigger, then I'll be happier." But um, the reality is let let randomly choose a n- number of 420 cc's like if you go to 450 it's not gonna you're not gonna actually notice it okay so for it to be actually noticeable you've you, you might have to go back up by another 100 cc's and so then you go from 420 to 520 and that's then you start introducing some of these problems so I think that's the other part of the myth that you know, just going up by another 20 cc's is going to make a difference. You're just not going to notice that.
0: Yeah, t- I totally agree. And how often when you see people post-op, they come in, they've had their implants, they're like, oh my God, I'm so happy, but yeah, I reckon I could have just gone that little bit more. Mm. And yeah, I always say like, you know, a few teaspoons of size difference is you're not going to notice it. And those bigger implants will ne- not necessarily fit on their chest the same. And yeah, all the yeah. problems that Richard suggested.
1: Um, Kind of as a lead on from that, uh, I think another kind of misconception is that breast augmentation is an alternative to a lift or vice versa. Uh,
0: yes, indeed. And, and particularly on the using bigger implants that some uh, non-surgeons generally um, potentially would be saying, "Oh, yeah, maybe you're borderline for a lift, but we'll just put a bigger implant in and that will do the same thing. Um, it does not. A bigger implant is not going to lift uh, the breast tissue, when the breast tissue actually needs to be lifted, and cause all the problems that Richard already mentioned, plus more. And if the breast gland tissue is sitting below your fold, no implant is going to magically reverse gravity and fix that. So, um, generally, that's actually a surgical lift that uh, is going to be required uh, to fix that problem.
2: So, sort of, it's, if you imagine it like a swing, so imagine a child on a swing. Uh, and at the bottom of the swing that's where the the nipple is and then you swing through the arc at the top of the arc that's like where the implant is in so you haven't shortened the cables so you haven't lifted the actual nipple Um, you've just expanded out that lower pole and that's why Kim and I use a lot of teardrop shaped implants because there's more gel in that lower pole so you, you can get a little bit of a lift but as Kim said if if the nipple and breast tissue is sitting below the fold, it's, it's, you're not going to expand that out enough uh, to give you a sort of a, a, a relative lift, if you like.
1: Yeah, and we've seen some examples of people coming in and then they have the implant, but then the rest of their breast is kind of just hanging underneath the implant. It's a no very nose. bizarre... A Snoopy nose. dog.
0: Yeah. And, and generally would end up then still having a lift. Um, so sure, they've had the implants, but they're still ending up needing both procedures, uh, whichever order... Yeah. Um, that it's done, and if you if you plan on doing it in the correct order, or plan on we're having a lift, and then an implant, then you're not chasing your tail over. Someone goes, "Oh, we can put in the implant, fix your problem. You don't need a lift." And then it's like, "Oh no, actually, you do need a lift." Then you potentially haven't planned adequately for that.
1: Yeah, and then you're doing more revisions if it hasn't worked. Correct. But, um, on that kind of note, of you just talked about anatomical ones. I think another misconception is uh, that breast augmentations are just super easy to spot as fake, and like anybody can tell if you've had a boob job.
2: I think I did. I send you a patient today, mini a mini breast augmentation, which is a term Kim and I don't love, but <clears throat> it, it kind of refers to sort of I, I don't know, probably the depends on the body shape because you know one small implant. Uh, on one body might might not be so small small on another body shape, but certainly it's it's possible to choose an implant uh, that is not going to be obvious um, and and really look very natural. And there are a few things that you can do to try and help with that. So one, um, like trying to look as natural as possible and 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 not look like you've had an implant, not compatible with having a really big implant that should be painfully obvious. Um, going under the muscle will help camouflage the upper pole, which is usually the part that people would notice. So we would all virtually always go um, in a dual plane or submuscular. And then um, in, and I had a couple of patients today where they're very, very thin. They've got no soft tissue essentially. Um, and so some fat grafting in the really thin areas can help camouflage and thicken the skin just a little bit so that um, uh, y- y- it doesn't look as obvious that they've had had a breast implant.
0: And certainly the population of people that we see, Mm. one of the first things I would say when they come in the door is, I don't want a fake look, I want to look natural. Um, And and that is certainly achievable with the techniques that we use. Um, And, you know, sometimes I... Walk down the street and you you can't tell you you shouldn't be able to tell a good breast augmentation from natural looking breast I feel like so like all my friends that have had it like you don't know and you are like oh have you got a poop job like I don't think it's that same
1: like 1960s boltom uh,
2: and yeah. no 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 and and some of a lot of that is the uh some of that is from the implants so the implants have have changed so the uh those implants used to be a lot of saline implants and so they were overfilled so it looked really like a water balloon, mm-hmm. and um, they used to always go over the muscle. So, you know, in a very thin woman with a saline sac, like you could see the ripples and things like that. Uh, so it's a bit has changed in our technique, so dual plane, fat grafting, um, but then also the anatomic implants have, have helped with that.
0: Yeah, so we can adjust <coughs> the shape of the implant to fit the patient's chest because not yeah. everyone has a round-shaped Breast, base, and weirdly. Infect. Weirdly. <laughs> Very uncommon.
2: But do you find uh, you have the conversation with patients where they say, I want to be natural and be natural and go, okay, no problems and you choose an implant that's, you know, quite conservative, so sort of, and then you get in front of the vectra and then go could, could I just Go see bigger. the bigger?
0: Yeah. <laughs> but or you wanted natural. Or you asked to see an image of what they think is a natural. Yeah, yeah, implant. that's the other one. <laughs> it's like, Go right. yeah, no, that's that's the least natural photo I've ever seen. Um, so yeah, there is a bit of education, and mm. in terms of that really round upper pole, um, I, I have a phrase that I say to patients a lot is to get that round upper pole shape implant Photoshop. Mm. Uh, a Really good push up bra, and so yeah. patients that are wanting a breast lift or a reduction wanting that really round upper pole, you it, it's just not a natural appearance any other way than using those um techniques.
2: Um, but but you you sort of raised a really good point, um, and and something that's that you know we pride ourselves on, which is um, communicating with the patients and and understanding what they want to achieve so. You know, a patient will show us photos that you know we don't think looks natural, but they've said, "I want natural," but that's fine. Like we're not saying like you have to have natural. It's not a cookie. We're not a cookie yeah. cutter practice. Like if you want to have that look, that's fine. But like we need to understand what you want to achieve. Yeah. So, and by like,
0: terminology, that would yeah, be natural yeah, yeah. for me. No, <laughs> so no, I think no. that's exactly. natural. Limb exactly. So. <laughs> Um, so we, like a, a
2: lot of surgeons, I think, shy away from patients showing them photos, whereas I think we're both comfortable and prefer patients to so say, this absolutely. is what I want to achieve. And we can either say, look, that's possible, it's not possible, but, um, but uh, you know, seeing what someone thinks is natural or is big. Yeah.
0: Uh, or what they want, what yeah. they want. And yeah. yeah, there are times, as you said, you can just be like, um, they're like, we just can't do that. Like all yeah. the swimwear brands, like they just
1: take the photos with push-up bras under it and then Photoshop out the push-up bra. Right. And then everyone's like, but she looks like that in a bikini. Yeah. It's like, oh, it. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right, next section. I'm going to go into more um, liposuction-themed myths. Um, so if somebody came in for liposuction, that would help trigger weight loss in other areas.
0: I... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that is a, a, absolutely myth busted as well. So um, Busted! Right, oh my, <laughs> live last night. So, you know, we talk a lot about weight and um, the, the surgery we do is not for weight loss. And, um, you know, people come in and go, oh, can't I just have a little bit of this, whether it's liposuction or tummy tuck, and then I'll be able to lose more weight afterwards. Um, definitely having some liposuction is not going to help in any way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, trigger any further weight loss, or if if you're significantly overweight, it's not going to touch the sides.
1: Conversely, having liposuction can make you gain weight elsewhere.
2: Yeah, that's also probably busted. I mean, if you put on weight, you put on weight. And the areas where we've taken – I think we've gone over this many, many times, but you're born with a certain number of fat cells. So fat cells um, just um, expand and contract. So you're not increasing the number. The only way to decrease the number is to do liposuction or you know, tummy tuck or whatever where you're actually removing fat cells. So um, it's not going to make you put weight on in other areas. Like if you put weight on, you've just put weight on. Um, where we've removed fat cells, you've got fewer fat cells, so you're going to put less weight on in those areas because there's less areas to deposit it. Um, but it it's not actually going to – the, the liposuction is not the trigger for gaining weight in other areas. So, yeah, it's like and you it like
1: blow in and it squeezes out
2: the other. <laughs> <areas. No. laughs>
0: and that's and the other thing you see in patients that have had areas of liposuction over Darton. Um, so, yeah, if you can imagine a stomach, and I think um, a celebrity, Tara, Tara Reed, I think, had yeah. her abdomen like super, super liposuction. So, you can see all the wrinkling of the skin. If she was to put on weight, it's not going to go in that area because it's not a mm. single fat cell left there. So mm. her thighs and whatever parts that haven't had liposuction are going to expand. But, yeah, it's not because of the yeah, liposuction. Yeah, it's not caused by liposuction. Correct. It's caused by cake. <laughs> um, <laughs> so another
1: one is that liposuction scene is the easy way out uh, and that you can just suck
0: out every single fat cell and you're good as rain for days, for days, <laughs> forever. Yeah, no, liposuction is not a weight loss tool. (laughs) I can't say that more times than...
2: Can I say it again? Go on. Liposuction is not a weight loss tool.
0: Um, And
1: then kind of on that vein, obviously, is surgery can be an alternative to weight loss. I guess that's all right. (laughs) You
2: can answer that one. (laughs) Um, Okay,
1: so we've got um, abdominoplasty section. So... uh, one that kind of comes up a lot, if you do Google abdominoplasties and tummy tucks, is a fleur-de-lis. Do you yep. want to break down what that is
2: and oh, why it's not great? <laughs> okay, so th- this is sort of a – it's a bit of a, a retro operation in that patients who had a lot of weight loss often had a, a vertical incision, which is called a laparotomy incision, in, in the middle of their abdomen because prior to – the early 2000s, everything was was done open as opposed to keyhole, which, it's done, which is the way it's done now. So patients had a pre-existing vertical scar in the middle of their abdomen. So it kind of made sense if you had excess um, upper abdomen skin that you would cut it out vertically because there's already a scar there so you're not adding an extra scar. With the um, advent of um, keyhole surgery – Patients were coming to see us with with enormous amounts of weight loss. I saw a patient just then who'd lost 60 kilos from a a, a bypass procedure, which is all done keyhole, which it just blows my mind. But she's virtually got no scars on her abdomen. So I don't want to add a scar that is going to be visible in a bikini. Um and so, and Kim and I were talking about this earlier. So the reason people do this, and this is a bit of a visual thing, we might have to put something up on on social Instagram to show it. But when we're cutting out skin, <clears throat> we cut it out as an ellipse. So, so both sides need to be about the same length. If they're not the same length, you're going to end up with bulges on one end. If you're thinking like sewing and you've got to, it's like going to be like a, a, a curtain where there's pleats in it um, or a dog ear, which is what we sometimes have to deal with. Um, and so... What the fleur-de-lis does is it, it because you're cutting out a vertical wedge from the upper incision, it shortens that upper incision so it matches the lower incision. It shortens that upper incision. So what Kim and I prefer to do is do a, a lower body lift where we're making an upper incision and a lower incision, but it's going all the way around. And if you think of that more like you're cutting the top of the orange off and the bottom of the orange off and you're bringing them together. So you've got a whole lot of excess skin in the middle, which is wider, but we're cutting where it's already narrow and down the bottom where it's already narrow so they match so you don't end up with the dog ear. The problem is what we were talking about earlier is that there are a lot of plastic surgeons who are – for want of a better term, afraid of a body lift. Mm. Um, just because they're not used to doing it, they don't do a lot of them. We do a lot of them, so, like, it's not a big deal for us or our nieces or our staff in theatre and, and recovery and the ward nurses. So, you know, we're doing them every day of the week, basically. So so we, like, instead of doing a floatily we would generally do a, a lower body lift because then you don't end up with the dog ears and it addresses the back. And addressing the back is actually really important, because if you make a flat tummy, but you've got a lot of overhang in the back, you still end up wearing, you know, high-waisted um, you know, pants or, or skirts and things, um, because you've got uh, like a lot of fullness in that lower back. So you want to shape that lumbar or lower back area so that it matches the the front. Because if you're doing a fleur de you're not doing that at all. You, you still end up with the fullness in the back so
0: it also addresses the hips and the outside of the thighs uh, yeah, much, much much better and i think the you the can lower body lift then
2: so you i think also you can remove more skin in the front mm. um centrally maybe not so so much but sort of in that area between the middle and and the flanks because you're doing you don't have to taper it down for a tummy tuck so that you know it meets the, the lower incision um you can you can be more spread it out. Yeah, you can take out more skin in that sort of um, sort of mid third of the the abdomen.
0: I think the other minus of the lis is the belly button looks weird because you bring that out in the middle of a the, sc- the scar that's going up and down. Horrible. So how um, you know it's difficult to get the belly button that looks good. And I think all of the belly buttons that we do for lower body lift and abdominal tummy look pretty good. Um, and look very natural with a small triangular mm. or um, V-shaped scar around the outside of them. And the other thing with a flutterly, you end up with a T-join in the mm. middle mm. of the tightest part of the tummy tight mm. closure, so it's just above the pubic area, and it is massively prone for wound breakdown because that. Skin there has got to get a blood supply from a very, very long way away up at the rib cage. Yep. So, oh, um, so there's, a, gotcha. there's a join right in the middle at the bottom. So, yeah, right. those patients who have a high risk of um, wound healing mm-hmm. issues and are an already very big operation.
2: Um, and it's not that it's a, a fleur de lis, putting a vertical scar is difficult. And you can always add that after doing a, a, a lower body lift. You can always add that vertical scar if someone still has. Lack skin um in a in a horizontal area in the upper abdomen but having done uh, you know lower body lifts for you know over 15 years the number that i've then converted into effectively a, a fleur-de-lis would would be less than a handful
0: yeah I do, i've done one <coughs> and it was last week so fresh yeah. sure in my mind but definitely only. Only it's one and all Easy to convert. And um, yeah, she she came back and had a shorter procedure, a shorter hospital stay, and mm. um, you know her her amount of weight loss and her excess skin was significant, and her result was actually excellent. But she just you know she was Kay. already had yeah. a scar in that area as well, so she, it was right. not I wa- wasn't actually that scar Without that, that was talking Was that first scar being from the bypass?
1: Um,
0: I think it was from like a long long time ago. Okay. One, yeah.
1: So that's just like – so if they have too much skin and like the typical one hasn't helped.
2: The main time they notice it is if they're leaning forward. So if they're doing planks and things like that, they'll notice sort of some still some skin hanging down. Um, and th- But then you're in a position where you can have a discussion and go, okay, well, you look great in clothes. You look great standing up. When you're doing a plank, which not many people are actually seeing, we can fix that but then you've got a scar and then the – um, and I've got a great patient who's a great example of that. And we had a number of conversations. She looks unbelievable in a two-piece bikini, but she's, if she leans forward, she's got some loose skin. I said, well, I can cut that skin out, but you're going to have a vertical scar and then you're not wearing a two-piece bikini. So that's the trade-off. you—you know, you, you can not wear a two-piece bikini. She piece could. No, no, no sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> she can wear, it, but can't wear a two-piece Adam bikini. Proud with the no, scar. She can't wear a two-piece bikini and not see a scar. Yeah, sorry. Correct. I stand corrected.
1: All right. On that note, we just yep. kind of talked about belly buttons. Um, and kind of miscon—well, not even misconception, but I think a lot of people are confused at where the belly button comes from, where it goes, <laughs> what happens to the belly button in a tummy
0: tuck. It's magic. Um, it's your belly button. So. Uh, Usually for these patients that are having these surgeries, there's excess skin over the top of the belly button, so it's hooded and it's difficult to see. With significant weight loss, it's in a deep, deep hole. So we cut uh, around the outside of that and then remove the skin that's all around the outside of the belly button, stays connected as a little stalk to the abdominal muscles and tissues underneath. And... The way I like to describe it is the top part of the tummy that we're leaving behind that joins up and that scar across the bottom is like a crop top and you're stretching that down. Oh, I like and, that. Uh, yeah. That's, right. it's a uh, Yeah, <laughs> I'm demonstrating it, of course, right now. <laughs> so you pull that di- down and stitch it up at the bottom and then make a new hole to pull out the old belly button. Um, and so the the appearance is different. It's much more aesthetic um, with a... Not a round hole. Um, Mm. Google uh, abdominal plastic ugly belly buttons, and there are. (laughs) But there are like you can. It's the only scar, as Richard was saying, in a a bikini. The only scar that you can potentially see is that one around the outside outside of the belly button. So if it's a big circle that's two centimeters beyond where the belly button is, it is an absolute telltale sign of what surgery they've had done. Um, the scars that we make generally, he- once they're healed, she's they actually sit almost inside the belly button.
1: Yeah, you really can't notice them on our patients. Yeah,
0: mm. you have to point it out when yeah. I'm showing patients photos of what they're potentially going to look like. and so say, this is the scar that you'll see with a bikini on.
2: So in the massive weight loss patients where you get that big hooding over the old belly button, mm. so I, I, I've i started calling that a sad belly button. Oh. And I draw the little sad, it's a sad face. <laughs>
0: Insert Um, sad face emoji. We also uh,
1: had actually one recently when we were talking about the postpartum muscle repair um, and there were some comments that uh, women don't need surgery because it can be fixed. Uh, Muscle separation can be fixed with planks and kind of just like normal ab work and surgery is overkill.
2: Well, um, it is a requirement to qualify for the item number to have tried some of those non-surgical treatments. So we would encourage all patients to try that. But uh, good luck. Uh, it's it's unlikely to bring together two muscles. It'll help strengthen strengthen the muscle, but it's not going to close the gap. I mean, the gap will either close naturally or, or it won't. Uh, and I think we've discussed this before. The gap is a bit overrated in terms of how much it's contributing to the problem. The, ho- the problem is the whole muscle wall is floppy and loose. So closing the gap is is just part of tightening up the whole um, abdominal wall. And, and th- if you think about it, like uh, I like to describe it as like the reins on a horse. So if they're floppy, which the two muscles on either side of your belly button, the rectus muscles – when they're stretched and wide apart, it's like the reins on the horse being you know loose and floppy, and so you pull on them, and um, you know the horse can't feel it, doesn't move. Whereas if we realign them and they're nice and 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 straight, um, and then you engage your core, you, you get a lot better function functionality, um, and and better sort of core strength so you can build on your core strength a lot better whereas if the reins are all floppy or the muscles are floppy you know you keep doing planks forever and a day and they're just they're not going to respond so it doesn't add core strength but it puts your muscles in a better functional position so that when you are doing your core exercise you'll get more um, benefit out of it
1: uh, and then finally we just kind of got like post stop ones i think we have kind of gone over them before but don't think can be said enough really um so for surgery after surgery you can lose too much weight like after you've had a tummy tuck and then you're gonna have to come back in and say yes because you've gone too far the other way
0: uh well potentially yes so uh, ideally you're doing the surgery when a patient is at or very close to their ideal weight so they actually don't have a whole lot to lose but if someone has had an abdominoplasty for example and they're still overweight and then they lose a lot of weight then yeah there will still be some Um, excess skin Um, the same thing is if you have it at your perfect weight you have your abdominoplasty you put on weight or have another pregnancy and then lose the weight and or have the baby um, the skin is going to be um, stretched again so it is ideal to have these surgeries once you've completed your family and once your weight's stable and you have control of it so it's not going to be going up and down anymore. Um, A few kilo weight loss, weight gain up and down Um, after surgery is not going to make a huge difference whatsoever, but significant changes definitely will.
1: Not using drains is better after surgery.
2: I disagree. Uh, There's a number of techniques people use to try and avoid using drains, uh, which I think comes about because of sort of a misconception about drains being sort of terrible and uncomfortable and, and painful. They're annoying, but uh, I don't think they contribute that much in terms of pain. Uh so people and I've done all of these, I'm sure Kim has as well, where you stitch the um, abdominal flap down onto the muscle wall. I did that for a while. I, I, I felt it limited how much skin I could cut out. Um and I causes puckering sometimes. Yeah, and you got well, some puckering. Like,
0: you know, each one of these things has um, other problems.
2: I've done there's some tissue glues you can use, so you spray the sort of muscle surface and the undersurface of the flap with a tissue glue and then you pull it down and um, push down on it for a period of time and the, the two surfaces are meant to stick together so there's no space, the glue's not strong enough. It, it, just, um, it actually becomes um, counterproductive because you put sort of this sealant on both surfaces and so then they can't sort of stick together so that didn't really help so um yeah i mean we we sort of use um drains they're fairly small the bottles are fairly small and i've gone much more the other way and i I just leave drains in until they're not draining and i'm happy that everything's stuck down because having a recurring seroma is you know just much more time consuming and, and annoying for patients um our nurse is an expert at advising patients when to come in to get them taken out. Yeah, and we've got Thank a couple
1: you. if you want to have um, – Rapid fire? No. Um, you, the listener. If you <laughs> want to go back and go through, we've done some um, longer ones, which I don't think we really have the time for the nuance and research required, but um, on breast implant illness and on cool um, CoolSculpting, um, those two are really good episodes. For And then we also just have a like a rapid fire kind of – question with uh kim and richard where they go through just like do's and don'ts of surgery so that should also help your journeys if you're due into the operating theater room soon oops if you liked this episode of keeping it real please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and while you're there why don't you have a flick through our past episodes We'd love to hear your requests for future topics, so send your suggestions through to us on IG at Surgery. That's all for today, and we'll catch you next time for another peek into the world of plastic surgery.